Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? What a blessing to be here with you. Hey, really quick, if this is your very first time someone has invited you to any one of our locations, Banda Franklin, Garfield Park, down in Seymour, uh, here at Greenwood, if you're watching online at any of our microsites for the very first time, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to all of our first-time guests today? We are glad you're here. If you're not brand new, welcome back. It is so good to be here. So good to see you again. I've missed you guys. Uh, hey, before we jump into brand new content, I just want to give a shout out to all of our communicators over the last four or five weeks. Uh, we saw uh, Pastor Andy uh, down from Seymour. He did a fantastic job. Uh, pastor Matt Scobell, our online campus pastor, did a great job. Pastor Aaron Beasley stepped up, did a great job. Pastor Cody did a fantastic job. I thought last week, man, he was really just going to get into that burrito, didn't you? If you missed that, I was like, man, he's going to bite it. He's going to bite it. And then he didn't bite it. Uh, I think he bit it Saturday night and uh, kind of choked on it a little bit. So, uh, but man, didn't they just do a fantastic job over the last couple of weeks? So appreciate them. Delivered great content in the Axe to Grind series, and not just our communicators, but our entire staff did a fantastic job through the month of July. Uh, I'm so very, very thankful that as the lead pastor of Emmanuel, our elders, our leadership team has said, hey, you can take a break through the month of July and uh, just kind of go off and, and study for future content. So that's what I do every July. If you're not familiar with that, that's why you don't see me in July, uh, because I'm studying for content for August and for September, and uh, I just have to be honest with you, I always, I don't always have good things to say, so I need to shut up sometimes, you know what I'm talking about? Other people actually have good things to say, like all of our communicators, and so uh, I'm just very, very blessed and thankful to be able to do that, uh, and, and, and our church doesn't skip a beat, and we continue to move forward, and people continue to come to Christ and grow in Christ, so thank you for that. Um, and so here we are, brand new content, I'm fired up, starting a brand new season series called Get a Grip. I come back and it's 70s weekend. I go away for a few weeks and we come back and we're singing Queen in church. It's like, what is happening? No, but uh, we, we, we do. We, we love to see people come to Christ and grow Christ. We love to have fun along the way. And I bet you've never sung Queen in church before. First time ever for, for many of you. So we're a church of firsts. We try to do that. Uh, we try to have fun. But we started a brand new series today called Get a, get a Grip. Has anyone ever said that to you? Man, you need to get a grip on your life. Yes, they have. Maybe it was a friend, a brother, a sister, a parent. Somebody has said that. Here's what they mean, ready? You know, you know what they mean. You have to control yourself. Man, your attitude, you need to get a grip on that thing. Your temper, you need to get a grip on that. Your spending's out of control. You need to get a grip on your spending. Man, you, you, you can't go without having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're constantly bouncing relationship from relationship. You need to get a grip on that, right? <laughs> I want to talk to you about 
self-control, which is really interesting on 70s weekend because 70s weekend was not a decade. The 70s was not a decade of self-control. How many of you grew up and you were a teenager when their 20s in the 70s? Yeah, yeah. You people are a little bit different. You are. You made some choices and decisions in the 70s that still are having effects in your life today. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe, maybe I'm not. Um, but I was born in 1977, so, you know, I was, you know, obviously didn't remember that, so I have to, like, watch the History Channel to kind of figure out what happened in the 70s. They've got a great show called The 60s, The 70s, and The 80s on the History Channel if you want to, if you want to learn more about the 70s. <clears throat> but yeah, it wasn't necessarily a decade where self-control was being promoted. It was a carryover to the 1960s of like free love and free this and do whatever you want to do and anti-government, all this other stuff. And here we are talking about self-control on the 70s weekend. Self-control, the opposite of what the 70s represented. What is self-control and why do we need it? Psychologists, um, there's a psychologist from Stanford, Stanford, her name is Kelly McConigal. She defined it like this. Self-control is the ability to do what you should do even if part of you doesn't want to. It's the ability to get up out of bed even though part of you doesn't want to. It's the ability to go to the gym even though part of you doesn't want to. It's the ability to eat the vegetables even though part of you doesn't want to. Are you with me? You understand what self-control is? Now, the opposite is also true. I wrote it like this. If that's true, look at the other side of the coin here. Self-control is also the ability to not do what you shouldn't do, even if part of you wants to do it. It's the ability to not retaliate, to not respond to that person online that you just want to give them a piece of your mind. It's the ability not to seek revenge. It's the ability not to eat the donuts. It's the ability not to have that extra slice of pizza. It's the ability not to do what you know you shouldn't do, even though there's things inside of you that are saying, I want to do it. You with me? Does anybody have a problem with self-control? Yeah, we all do. Like, I mean, count the ways, right? Self-control. I remember when I was in, wow, that person's got a huge afro. <laughs> Unbelievable. I just, I wish you other campuses could see. Wow. I wish we had a camera up here so I could show all the campuses what I just saw. Anyway, sorry. Just got distracted. Um, so when I was in college, um, I, I, my, my, roommate, my roommate began dating Jackie at that time. I was at Liberty University, and, and so I had a chance to kind of watch um, my roommate kind of mess that relationship up. And so then they broke up, but I wasn't going to like swoop in right away, you know, and I actually wasn't going to do it at all because it's awkward. You know, your roommate, she dated this girl and like, hey, can I date your old, you know, whatever. So I didn't do it, but I had a friend who kept urging me to do it. Man, you need to ask Jackie out. You know, she's like, no, no, no. And then he, but he kept on me. So I finally did. Well, long story short, we're married. <laughs> it worked out. But there was a period there when I was dating Jackie where my roommate was giving me a hard time. You know, he's kind of like, eh, you know, I dated her first, you know, that, that sort of thing. And he would egg me on and kind of poke me and, you know, it's just, it just got annoying. And, and finally it got to the point where I was like, hey, quit it. You know, I don't like that. It's not, it's not cool. It's not fun. But he kept going on. And so one day he said something real snarky about that. And, and I said, just say it one more time. <laughs> and he did. And I had this like flame writ, lit behind my eyeballs. Has anybody ever felt the hotness, the heat coming from your eyes? Maybe if you have kids, you felt this. 
And I couldn't punch him in the face because I knew that I would probably be expelled for that. You know, I, so I did the second best thing that I probably wouldn't get kicked out of college for. I choked him. I did, I did, I swear to you. I stuck my hands on his throat and I started squeezing. And, and you know, we got really, really intense and we kind of, I roughed him up and then I finally let go. And, 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 and since then I've only choked one other person, I promise. <laughs> I've got that under control. But we all have issues with self-control, don't we? You know, maybe it's an issue with, with food or it's an issue with alcohol or it's an issue with temper. And if we don't get those issues under control, we're gonna pay a high price. Plato, the Greek, the Greek philosopher, said this. He said, the first and greatest victory is to conquer yourself. Wow, so hard to control me. You've heard the statement, I've met the enemy and the enemy is me. You come to realize that yet? Why is Plato spot on? And why do we need to talk about this? In your notes, I wrote it like this. A lack of self-control makes you, makes us, makes me vulnerable to all kinds of problems in life. When you pick up the Bible, and I hope you do, and I hope you read it every day, and the Bible has so much to say about this issue. Let me just show you one example in Proverbs chapter 25. This is King Solomon. He says, like, a a person without self-control is like a, a city with broken down walls, let me give you a little insight on what this means. Back in ancient times in, in, the, in the Middle East, cities, their only line of defense really was, was, a, was a, a tall, solid stone wall built entirely around the city. You know, back then they didn't have helicopters and jets that dropped bombs, so they just built walls and that would keep everybody out unless they put, you know, would catapult stuff over the walls, but even then you could build them really high. And those walls kept the enemies from just coming, coming in and having their, way, having their way, stealing, killing, and destroying. And Solomon is saying, self-control are the walls that you need to build around your life. And when when you don't have self-control, you are vulnerable to the enemy, both outside forces and inside forces. Our own appetites and desires can destroy us. Think about the price that people pay for a lack of self-control. You lose your temper at work, you get warned, you do it again, the boss calls you in, you lose your job, you lose your income. Then you go home, you gotta explain it to your spouse and you get an argument with him or her and you, and you lose your temper again and then the relationship falls apart and then you, then you break up. Why? Because of anger? We lose control of our lust and we end up cheating on a spouse We end up with some type of pornography addiction because we can't control ourselves. We get caught. There's a divorce. Think about the price that people pay for a lack of self-control. Such a high price. People lose relationships. People lose credibility. They lose influence with their children. They lose influence for Christ, their testimony at work, their testimony for Jesus in the community. People lose their freedom. Did you know, did you know that in this country, 2.3 million Americans are incarcerated right now? That's 698 people for every 100,000 Americans. It's the highest incarceration rate in the world by far. We Americans, we can't control our temper. We can't control ourselves. So guess what? Here's the truth, ready? When you can't control yourself, somebody else will. It's called incarceration. Is self-control a big issue? You better believe it is. 
You know, I love the Bible for many reasons, but one of my most important reasons is that when you read it, the main characters, you know, they just come out at you like real people. They don't candy coat it, like King David's sin is in there, and Moses' sin is in there, and you know, you just find out, these are are real people that messed up. Do you know Moses killed somebody? Moses was a murderer, David was an adulterer. And that's how I know the Bible is real because if the Bible was fake, then, then they would cover that stuff up and these people would be like, oh, they're perfect. They're not. They're flawed, just like you and just like me. And they lost their, their self-control at times. There's a great story about a guy that lost self-control in the book of Genesis chapter 25. His name was Esau. He had a brother named Jacob. They were twin brothers, but they were not identical. They were the sons of a man named Isaac who was the son of a man named Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was more of a domesticated kid. He liked to stay in the house and cook. Esau was more of a, like a, a wilderness dude, and it says that he's covered in hair. You know, you know sort of like some of, some of our staff members and pastors. Just really manly man, beards and stuff like that. I wasn't going to name any names, but anyway, just manly dude, okay? So the Bible says his hair, his arms, it just had hair all over it, hair on his knuckles. You ever, you ever meet a dude with hair on their knuckles? Like, dude. Wow. Anyway. Anyway, that was Esau. That was Esau. So, so here's the story. Esau is out in, out in the hunting one day. Well, I'll just, re- I'll just read it to you. I'll just read it. Genesis chapter 25. One day when Jacob was in the house cooking some stew, Esau arrives home from the wilderness. He's out there. He's, he's exhausted and he's hungry. If the Bible were written today, it would say he was hangry. Okay. You ever been there? Watch what happens. So he says to Jacob, his brother, I'm starved. Give me some of that stew, right? And Jacob responds back with something, some interesting words. Listen to what he says. All right, Esau, I'll give you some of my stew, but first I want you to trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. The firstborn son was a massive deal back then. It meant that you, the firstborn son, upon the death of their father, Isaac, would receive a double portion of the inheritance. So however much money Isaac had, Esau was going to get double than what Jacob got, just because he came out first. (laughs) That was the rule. It also meant that he would step into the position of his father as the patriarch of the family, the head of the family. It was a huge deal to be born first back then. Listen to what Esau says to Jacob. Look, I'm dying here of starvation. I'm hangry. What good is my birthmark right to me? Say it with me. Now, in this present moment, what good is my birthright? Like, I know in the future I'm going to get a double portion of dad's money. I know I'm going to be the patriarch of the family. But that's 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road. Right now, I'm starving. Give me some of that stew. And he loses control of his attitude, his mind, because of his stomach. His stomach, if you ever heard it said like this, his stomach was eating his backbone. You ever heard that? (laughs) And so he forfeits this future blessing for this momentary pleasure of some potatoes and maybe some deer meat or whatever was in there. There's a little bit of Esau in all of us, isn't there? In week number four, we're going to talk about delayed gratification and the fact that we are impulsive people. And because we're impulsive people, we can't control ourselves. But that's week four. For now, I just want you to focus on the reality that Esau lost control because of his stomach. Listen to what he says. 
Jacob says, first, swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore the earth thereby, swore the oath thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. He eats the stew and he despises his birthright. If, you, if you've ever read the Bible, and I hope you do, you, you know from Old Testament to the New Testament, God has, is often referred to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It wasn't supposed to be so. It was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau could not control himself. We have to learn to control ourselves because if we don't, we're gonna pay a very, very high price. Maybe not now. Five years, 10 years, 20 years. We could lose our health, we could lose our family, we could lose our marriage, we could lose our children. We gotta figure this out. What's our problem? You know, if you ever, you ever ask yourself that, like, like, I've met the enemy, the enemy is me, what is my problem? You gotta ask that self. You know, instead of saying, what's your problem? What's his problem? What's their problem? Come on, come on, come on, come on. What's, what's my problem? You know what my problem is? What's the same problem you have? And the Apostle Paul actually writes about it in Romans chapter seven, probably the most relatable verses in the entire book, the entire Bible. Listen to what Paul says. Tell me if you don't relate. I don't really understand myself. What I wanna do, what is right, but I don't do it. Ever been there? Instead, I do what I hate. Have you ever been in a situation where you just, you keep on doing the very thing that you hate, whether that's scrolling on TikTok or binging on Netflix or binging on ice cream or whatever? You know, one glass of wine turns into four glasses of wine. It's like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. Listen to verse 19. Watch this. I want to do what is good. I want to eat those vegetables. I want to eat those Brussels sprouts. I want to eat that broccoli. But I don't do it. Instead, I go for the cake. I go for the cookies. I go for the ice cream. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with us? Paul goes on to say, what, what a wretched man I am. I don't really know what my problem is. You know, our problem actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Listen to what God told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two. You may eat freely from the, from the uh, fruit of the tree of, in the garden, any tree. Look around, we could have it all, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one over there, you see it? If you eat its fruit, you will surely say it with me, you're gonna die. You're gonna die physically. Okay, it wasn't God's plan for us to die physically. But now because you've sinned, you're gonna die physically, but also spiritually. What does that mean to die spiritually? It means to be disconnected from God. Adam and Eve blew it. They lost their self-control. They, they fell into temptation. They saw that the tree was good to, for knowledge of good and evil, and they, and they caved. And because of that, their, 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 their soul was distorted. Did you know that because Adam and Eve sinned, their soul was damaged, and that damaged soul was passed on to their children and their children and children and grandchildren, great, 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 going to you and to your children. Did you know you were born with a damaged soul because of what happened in the Garden of Eden? Like we come out of the womb damaged. This explains the behavior of your children if you're a parent. It's like, why do they do that? They came out that way. If you've ever driven a car that's been out of alignment, yes, anyone? It's so frustrating. Because when, when you let go of the wheel, it just pulls to the, to, the, to the shoulder. And if you don't correct it, you're in the ditch. Like, this is Indiana, folks. There's ditches everywhere. 
You got to wrestle that thing back. You know, keep your hand on the wheel at all times. When that wheel is out of alignment, did you know that your soul, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, is just out of alignment? And that's why you pull to the right. That's why you want what you shouldn't want. And that's why you do what you shouldn't do. And that's why you can't stay straight. Because there's something distorted about your soul. The prophet Isaiah gave us perhaps the most insightful thing about the human heart written in the entire Bible. He said in Isaiah chapter 17 verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And it's desperately wicked. Who really knows where the bottom is? Who really knows how bad the human soul can get or become? We're born that way because of what Adam and Eve did. That's why we want what we shouldn't want. Our souls have been distorted, deformed, whatever word you want to use. And so we got a lot of work to do if we want to get that car realigned and get it driving straight. And that's what I want to talk about over the next couple, four weeks. I want to talk about four biblical strategies to regain self-control of our lives so we don't mess things up and ruin a marriage and ruin a business and ruin our health. Make sense? Does that sound good? Sound like a plan? Okay, let me give you the first one here. Strategy number one. Self-control really requires surrender, which is ironic because you would think that, okay, I gotta get self-control. I'm gonna take control. No, actually, we need to start with surrender. Did you know that self-control is a byproduct of of surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Now, let me explain that really quick. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit, three parts of God. God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Those are one, it's called the Trinity. It's kind of like an egg. An egg has three parts. You got the shell, the white stuff, and the yolk, right? Three parts of the egg, but it's really one egg. We don't call it three parts. God is the same way or it's similar to that. Father, Son, and Spirit. Self-control is a byproduct of me and you surrendering our life to the Spirit of God. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? That's a great question. Galatians chapter five, listen to what Paul says. But the fruit of the spirit or the result of living under the spirit's leadership is first of all, love. That's a good thing, agape, right? God is love. Joy, that's really good. Joy, we want, we want to be joyful. It's a great emotion. Peace, oh, I'll take more of that. More peace. Anybody want more peace? Sign me up. These are byproducts of living under the leadership of the spirit. Forbearance, which is patience. We all need more of that. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then he tacks this one on the end. It's the last one. Self-control. The word actually means self-mastery or self-constraint, the ability to master oneself. Is That's a byproduct. You wouldn't think it is, but it's a byproduct of living in a surrendered relationship to the Holy Spirit. In fact, verse 16, a couple of verses before this, this is what Paul says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let him lead your life. Let him be in charge. Let him be the boss. Let him be the one in control. And when you do that, watch this, great promise, then you won't be doing the things that your sinful nature craves. See, our souls are, 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 are like cars out of alignment. We want what we shouldn't want. Well, what's gonna prevent us from wanting what we shouldn't want? What's gonna prevent us from going into the ditch? How many of you know someone who's in the ditch right now because they couldn't control themselves with alcohol or temper or spending and they've gotten themselves into a total mess because they couldn't stop hooking up. Maybe they've got some sort of STD or they've got someone pregnant or some, because they just could not control their desires. 
how do we write that wrong? Well, here's what the, here's the Bible says. Take your life, surrender it to the spirit, and then you will not be doing the things that the sinful nature craves. Why? Because you're under the leadership of the spirit. And what the spirit's telling you to do, you do only those things. Does that make sense? Yes or no? This is so easy, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Because we're stubborn. We're rebels. We don't want to surrender. Surrender? I want to be me. I want to be in control. So how do we do this? Let me give you three practical ideas. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, man, here's what you got to do. Surrender your life to the leadership of the Spirit. You'll have self-control. Great. Awesome. Let's pray and go home. No. we got to talk about how to do this. Let me give you three specific ideas. Number one, you have to decide first thing in the morning. This is the first thing in the morning thing. Every day, decide in the morning to surrender your life. Every single day. Years ago, I read Mere Christianity. I talk about it all the time. It's my number one favorite book. And that's saying a lot, because I like a lot of books. Lewis helped me with this. This is like, seriously, 15 years ago I read this. Lewis says this. So the real problem of the Christian life comes where people usually don't look for it. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job, each morning, it's so important, consists simply in shoving them all back in listening to that other voice of the Spirit. He continues, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day long, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. I read that many, many years ago and I thought, that's it. That's the real problem. The real problem of the Christian life starts first thing in the morning when all of my desires and appetites come rushing at me. My first job, your first job is to push those all back and listen to that other voice and surrender to that quieter, larger, stronger voice come into my life and then to try to carry that on all day long. I made that decision a couple years ago, many years ago. And I've not done it perfectly. Nobody gets this perfect. Nobody, we're not talking about perfection. We're, we're talking about progress here. But it is a decision every single day. See, some of you are frustrated with your spiritual life because you're like, man, I go to church on Sunday. And then by Wednesday, I'm in the ditch. My attitude stinks and this. I made bad, poor choices. I'm discouraged. I'm down. What's my problem? Look, that's like, that's like saying, you, you know, I don't know what's going on in my life. I, I take a shower on Monday, and by Thursday, I stink. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Oh, it's terrible by Thursday. It's like, now wait a second. Showering and bathing is a daily requirement. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor Danny, please keep, please keep going. I've got to, please keep talking about that, because I've got somebody with me. <laughs> Hygiene is a daily issue. You want to smell good, you know? You can't brush your teeth on Monday and have fresh breath on Wednesday. Can't, can't do it. It's going to work. Well, if that's true in the physical world, why wouldn't that be true in the spiritual world? It's absolutely true in the spiritual. That's why surrender has to happen every day and so on through the whole day. Making sense? Yes or no? So we got to decide to surrender the spirit. And as we follow his leading, we control ourselves all throughout the day. And then number two, we got to decide to surrender each part of our body to him. we got to surrender each part of our body. Listen, listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, which is perhaps one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, Romans 6. Spend some time there in meditation and study. It'll bless your life. Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We're gonna baptize a few folks here in a minute. Baptism is a symbol of being brought, going down to death and being brought, being brought back up to life. We die to our old way of life. The, the, the water symbolizes cleansing of our sin. We come up to a brand new life. Paul says, when you place your faith in God, in Jesus, you've been brought from death, you've died to the old, to life, a brand new way of living. If you have done that, then you need to offer your bodies to God because they're in this new life now. Stop offering the parts of your body to, watch this, sin, which will, be, will, be an, will make you an instrument of wickedness. And then he pushes in further. Look what he says next. He says, and offer every part of your body to him as an instrument of righteousness. I love this. Paul's literally saying, go through the parts of your body, your, your feet, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart, your sex organs, and take all of that and offer it to God as an instrument of righteousness. A tool. You guys know tools, right? I have a tool up here. It's a hammer. I don't use this very much. In fact, it's not even my hammer. <laughs> but I have one at home. And I don't use that one either. But it is an instrument. And, and, a, and to a person who knows how to use this, it is incredibly effective to do a lot of good. You can build stuff with it, put stuff together, fix stuff. You put this in the hands of a person who wants to do wrong or harm, it's incredibly destructive. So Paul's like, look, your whole body, your different instruments, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your hands, your feet, Again, your sex organs, like all of those things are instruments. I want you to offer each part of yourself to God as an instrument for righteousness. What does that mean? That simply means that each and every day we wake up and we say, God, I'm, I'm gonna give you my hands, I'm gonna give you my feet, I'm gonna give you these eyes, I'm gonna give you these ears, I'm gonna give you this heart and this mind, and I'm gonna give them to you so that you could use my body as an instrument to produce your will on earth as it is done in heaven. Think of the Psalm 23, my favorite Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What's the next verse say? Anybody know? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How interesting. That's where Paul gets this language. Offer your body as an instrument to God for the purpose of righteousness, for the purpose of his glory. See, if you do that every day, do you think you're gonna be out fulfilling the desires of the sinful nature? Come on. You're gonna be doing the very things that God has planned for you to do. You will grow in self-control. So number one, choose to surrender every day, but specifically, number two, choose to surrender the parts of your body. And then number three, you gotta keep your, the word of God in your mind all day long. Keep the word of God in your mind all day long. Let me ask you a question. Who wrote this book? I mean, there's 66 books in this one book. Who wrote them? You say, well, King David wrote some, yeah. Peter, yeah. Paul, yes. Ezra, yes. Es Esther, yes. Nehemiah, yep. But who really wrote the book? Anybody know? The Holy Spirit wrote this book. You know what the Bible says about the Bible? It's testimony about itself. It says that the Holy Spirit led people to write down the words in this book, which means when you open it, it's not a 
the testimony of David. It's not the testimony of Peter or Paul or anybody else who wrote. It's actually the thoughts and minds, mind of the Holy Spirit. So as I take the word of God and you take the word of God into our mind and then we align our lives with the word of God, what are we really doing? We are aligning ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We're coming under his leadership. Years ago, I read a passage in, uh, in Joshua and changed my life. Probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And this, this specific passage was written to Joshua by God because Moses, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, Moses lost control of himself. Remember? He smacked the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And because of that, God said, you lost your self-control, you may not go into the promised land. I need another guy. Joshua, you're my man. So now Moses is off the scene and Joshua's getting ready to go into the promised land. He's got to tackle the Hivites and the Jezebites and the Ites. Remember all the Ites? Ites. And they're battle-tested, big, tall people, swords, spears, horses. And instead of telling Joshua, look, you need to train up your people to fight. And you need to make some swords and you need to make some shields and you need to get some horses because otherwise you guys are going to get crushed. Instead of telling Joshua that, look what God tells Joshua. Study the book. You want to be successful? Moving into the promised land? Study the book of instruction. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what they had at that time. Study the book of instruction and I want you to meditate on it. How often? In the morning and the evening. I want, I want your whole life to be dedicated to what, what I have written. Why? So that you'll be sure to obey everything in it. How can you obey what's written in it if you don't know what's in it? Some of you struggle to obey God. You don't know what's in the book. You got to study it and meditate on it. Memorize passages so that you'll know what to do. So that your life will be in alignment with what the Spirit wants. Then, watch this. Then watch, watch this. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Now, specifically, what God meant there was only then will you succeed in taking the promised land. Not succeed in prosperity in the American sense of being famous and having money and cars and houses. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. Biblical success and prosperity is moving forward and fulfilling the plans that God has for you on this earth. Well, how do you step into that? You come under the, the scriptures and you follow what the scriptures say. Why? Because they were written by who? The Holy Spirit. How do you develop self-control? You align your life with the Holy Spirit because then you find yourself doing the things that the Spirit wants you to do. You don't do the things that the sinful nature wants to do. Is this making sense, yes or no? This is easy stuff, don't you think? It's not easy. It's easy to understand. It's not easy to do. What have I said today? What have I said today? <clears throat> Self-control is an issue. Paul had it. We all have it. If we don't get control of ourselves, there's a high price to pay. Esau lost his birthright because he couldn't control his appetite. As you look back in your life, you have paid a high price, some of you, because you couldn't control a spending issue, an alcohol issue, an eating issue. No doubt, someone, you know someone in your life because they couldn't control their food intake, is either suffering now with diabetes or some other ailment due to overeating food. Maybe it's you. You probably know someone who died because of it. They lost their life because they couldn't stop eating food. This is real life stuff. Solomon says, 
Without self-control, you're like a city without walls. You are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy outside and inside. So if we want to build self-control, we've got to surrender. I picked up a book not too long ago called Your Future Self Will Thank You by Drew Dyke. I love this title. Ready? Your Future Self Will Thank You. We'll talk about that in week number four. Secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science. I'm like, man, it's so exciting. Listen to what he said. What self-control requires ultimately isn't control, but surrender. Surrendering ourselves, each part of our body, surrendering our mind to the word of God and what it says. Aligning ourselves with the, with the Spirit's leadership. I've got two questions for you, and then we're going to baptize some folks. Number one, where do you struggle with self-control? Some of you are like, well, there's nowhere to write. My list is too long. <laughs> just, just, just write down the most important one, the one that'll cost you the most. Be serious. Is it alcohol? Come on. Like, you gotta get control of that. You gotta get a grip. Is it pornography? You gotta get a grip on that. It's gonna cost you. A relationship might cost you your marriage. Is it your temper? Look, I had to get a grip on that. Like, I, I was joking about it earlier, but I realized real quick, you can't choke people. <laughs> you can't do that. Can't go into the workplace and choke people. You don't make it that way. So I had to get a grip on that. Like, this is serious stuff. Is it food? Come on. Where do you lack self-control? Write it down. Let's work on that in this series. And then today, will you surrender? That's the question for today. Will you surrender to the leadership of the Spirit? Paul said it so simply, so beautiful. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you will not find yourself doing what your sinful nature craves. It is that simple. Take the parts of your body every day and surrender to them, Spirit. Keep the word of God on your mind. Fair enough, good challenge. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that baptism is a picture of people dying to their old way, coming up to a brand new way of life. Let us celebrate those who have decided to do that by faith. Check this out. A few moments ago, I mentioned that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were told clearly what to do. They didn't do it. They lost control of themselves. They sinned. They ate the fruit. And because of that, the human race was plunged into sin. And that explains our situation today. Separated from God, there's a 100% chance all of us are going to die physically, and there's a chance many of us will die spiritually. That's why Christ came. Jesus came into this world to die for our sins so he can put us back into a relationship with God. The Bible calls it reconciliation. It wasn't his plan for us to be separated from him. It wasn't his plan for our souls to be distorted, to be out of alignment. Jesus came to put the pieces back together and that restoration starts when we place our faith in him. See, that explains why Christ died on the cross, why those nails were put through his hands, why those nails were put through his feet. He died because of our sin. He died for our sin. And if you trust in Christ, the process of restoration could start today. You'll be forgiven of your sins and Jesus can start putting the pieces back together. If you'd like to put your faith in him today, whether you're watching online or here physically, Step into this moment. Ask Christ to be your savior. He died for you. He loves you. You can take these words and you can make them your own. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? 
Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I open my heart to you today. I invite you in to start the healing process. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe you came back to life to restore me, to reconcile me to yourself. And so I ask you to be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. Wash my soul. Cleanse me. Make me your child. And from this day forward, help me to surrender my life to the leadership, your leadership, so I can live the life that you have planned for me. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. When I prayed that prayer, someone was, uh, someone was just loving enough to put a Bible in my hands and say, hey, start reading this. And so I did, it changed my life. And so I wanna do the same thing for you. Our church wants to put a Bible in your hands. Inside this box, there's a Bible with a reading plan, information about baptism, small group. Uh, There's also a coffee cup in here because we're crazy about coffee. You don't have to put coffee in it. Uh, But if you would text the word SAVE to 65248, if you prayed that prayer and you trusted in Christ, you can grab one of these on your way out at the information desk, or if you're watching online, give us a little bit more information and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory, amen? It's so good to be back with you. I miss you guys a ton. Um, I'm gonna pray right now and then dismiss to our local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us such incredible insight from your word about self-control. How it, it serves as a wall around our lives to keep the enemy from coming in and just having his way. And so help us over these next four weeks to build that wall brick by brick. May it be tall, may it be strong, so that we can protect our lives from the cost of sin. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right now I'm gonna dismiss to the local teams. God bless you guys.